We read about it in our gospel reading, and we just sang about it, and now I'm going to preach about it. And the focus here being in the, that 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. And in, in addition to our gospel reading, I want to add in the verses that follow. And that is 15 through 19, where John writes, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, Simon, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. And this Jesus said to him to show by what kind of death Simon was to glorify God. And he says this to him, follow me. Dear friends in Christ, life has really some big challenges we know that we all have to face. And the issue is not, will you have to face the challenge, but really, how will you deal with the challenges that are confronting you that will ultimately come? There was one man who was quoted as saying, the trouble with life is that it's so daily. One of the hardest things that life gives to us is really, at times, discouragement that comes at the hands of people. How many of you have ever said down, you know, really deep inside, I just didn't think it would turn out like this? It isn't long before discouragement and even disappointment begin to affect our heart and our spirit. And we try to go on and, you know, be stronger, but yet something ends up really dying deep inside. If the discouragement doesn't get to you, well, then failure will try to we can end up saying, well, I'm just really not worthy. I'm such a failure. I'm such a loser. And if those things don't get to you, well, then maybe it's cash or the comforts of life, material things of this world that will totally distract you, perhaps, from the things that really count. And if you can identify with what I'm saying, please know that you're not alone. Some of God's best people, they also struggle so deeply with these types of things, that they began to go off mission from Christ and what he calls us to do. And one of those people is Peter. We meet him in a desperate moment here in John chapter 21. And I think it's important for us to know what's really going on in this text. If we love Jesus, then we will care about what he cares about. It's important to see in these verses what is really being said here. It's all in the words and the things that Jesus says to Peter, especially those words, do you love me? And in the Greek, that word love is agape. Now, if you've done some research into that word or heard about it before, you know that agape is the highest form of love. It's not an emotional response. It's really a pure and selfless act and attitude. It's a special type of commitment for you having for someone else, regardless of what comes. 
It's really a choice to say, you know, I care for you and your needs. It's a word that's most often used, of course, for God's love for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, when you see that word love in that love chapter, it's the word agape. And Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Well, Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word that Peter literally uses is phileo. I phileo you. Phileo is a word that's used for brotherly love. And in verse 17, it's interesting that the third time that Jesus asked Peter, he says this, Peter, do you phileo me? It's just like Jesus lowering the bar of commitment, isn't it? Wrong. I can never find Jesus lowering his bar of commitment for us. It's interesting that phileo and agape are sometimes used interchangeably. And to be fair to Peter, he might be saying, well, it's not just a voluntary commitment, Lord. You know, we've been together for three years. We've been like brothers, and it goes deep for me. Well, we should remember that three different times Jesus says, if you love me, then you're going to care what I care about. That's how I know that you'll love me. And he says to Peter, feed my lambs and take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is talking about people and their need to be fed. He's talking about giving yourselves to the needs and the nourishment of people. You and I need to remember that when Jesus came here, he was compassionate about the most particular thing of all creation. And that was people. I never heard him say to Judas, hey, let's go buy that hill over there. Yeah, how much money do we have in the treasury, Judas? And maybe perhaps let's buy it and we'll build a library there so that people, after I'm gone, they'll remember and care about the things that I did for them. Jesus isn't into that. He's always into people. And so he says to Peter, I know that you care for me when you care about people. I know that you love me when you do that for others. When Jesus came, he didn't spend his time with a lot of religious people. In fact, he had some pretty harsh words about them, about their procedures, their rules for people, how they oppressed them and how they really totally missed the point of caring for people. Instead, Jesus, he spends his time with the poor, with the disadvantaged, with the oppressed. And if we're doing what Jesus calls us to do, then we're going to care about innocent people who are suffering from things like disease, natural disasters, even war. We might want to think of people who have really the greatest needs, People who are living without hope. The ones who are helpless in the face of the great odds of life that are against them. If we love Christ, we will stay on mission. When we think about the triple questioning of Peter here, we should think about how traumatic it would be for Jesus to say that to us three times. Do you love me? Why is Jesus hounding Peter like this? Well, the answer to that question is not found in those immediate verses in 15 through 19. You really got to go back to the beginning of that chapter. And in verse 3, we see how it can become very obvious to us. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going to go fish. 
Let's go back to what we know how to do, guys. Let's get back to having our life under control. Perhaps he's thinking, maybe let's open up a new fishing business. And for them to do what Peter is suggesting, they would have had to go off mission, threatening the very purpose of what Jesus had called them to do, the work of God in their lives. If they had chosen to live their life as fishermen, you and I might not even be sitting here as those redeemed people of Christ because perhaps the word would not have been spread around. That's a very serious moment. They're being tempted to go off of the mission that Jesus had called them to do. I'm not sure that I blame them, that I'd probably be discouraged too, for I would think, well, I don't think this is turning out the way that I was expecting. For three years, they walked with God's Son. They were in the limelight, the spotlight with him. And the expectation that they had was not that Jesus would go to a cross and to set up a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual one. They were thinking he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and perhaps bring in a social, political, and economic kingdom like it was in the past, sitting on the throne of David. Well, instead, we know that Jesus went to the cross. And those disciples, they hid behind locked doors because they felt, too, that they were going to be killed by the Roman government. And then they hear those words that come to them, He is risen! And as a result, can you imagine how their hearts just jumped inside of them when they heard that Jesus is alive? But Jesus doesn't show up right away. And when Jesus does, he shows up in some weird ways. They're in that locked room, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. He materializes, and he shows them his wounds. He even eats with them. And then he's gone again. You think you'd be a little discouraged at that point? Would your heart be saying, I didn't think that it was going to turn out like this. How about if we go back to life as it used to be? Something we know about. Something that we can control. No wonder they're distracted with worldly things. Saying, perhaps, you know, let's open up a fishing business and perhaps we'll have enough money to buy sandals and robes and even food. And when Peter brought up that idea of going fishing, what did the disciples say? They said, we'll go with you. And then they go out on that boat, and they don't catch anything throughout that whole night. If you or I were to ignore Jesus' command, if we went off mission because we thought that there was perhaps something better out there, you know, we could fish all night figuratively, and in the end, catch nothing. Remember that. And when you go through the gates of heaven, if that was the case, you will know that you had spent your whole life catching nothing. Well, in that account in John 21, at daybreak, there's a man who appears on the beach, and they don't know it's Jesus. And he says to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And their simple reply is, no. Now put yourself in the disciples' place right now. This man on the beach actually tells them to try something new, to throw their nets on the other side. And they were probably thinking, where did this guy come from? But you know what happened. They ended up pulling the nets back in, and they're full of fish. And John tells us that Peter puts his robe on around him, and he jumps into the water and hurries to meet Jesus 
while the others are rowing the boat in. Now, why would Peter jump into that water out of the boat and run to meet Jesus? It's not the first time that that miracle had happened. I had preached a little while ago back here at uh, Luke chapter 5. And there Jesus is ministering to the crowds that are around him, and he's got his back to the shore. And the crowds are pressing in, and Jesus sees fishermen mending their nets. And he says to them, would you put me in the boat so that I can teach and finish doing that? And they did so. He finishes the teaching, the crowds disperse, and then Jesus says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Remember Peter's reply? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they did, the net was so full of fish that it began to tear. And the weight was just too much for those nets. And at that moment, Peter, he falls down on his face and he says to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. And Peter is really so struck by Jesus' command that he gave to them that he cries out as a repentant sinner. And Jesus, as he always hears those cries from those who repent, he doesn't give a word of judgment. He gives a word of mercy. And he says to him and to the others, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. That's right, people. Luke says that immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. They immediately got into the people business. I'll tell you now why Peter jumps out of that boat and runs to Christ. Jesus had planned this second miracle to take Peter back to the moment of his calling back in Luke 5. So that Peter would remember that moment when Jesus was so real, when he was so totally worthy of everything in his life that Peter would give up his business for Christ. This was a very intentional type of miracle on Christ's part. And the miracle was not only to put those fish into the net, but also the miracle of keeping the fish out of the net all throughout that night. And as Peter runs to the shore and the other disciples join him, the disciples, they saw a fire of burning coals there. Fish were on it and some bread. And John only has so many words to really focus on this whole big event that's going on. So every word and detail is important to us and to him. Why does he say that they found a charcoal fire that Christ has lit? Well, the term charcoal fire is only used twice in the New Testament. And it's in this text, and it's also in John 18, verse 18, where Peter was warming himself in the courts of Caiaphas, and he's denying his Lord. Well, you know how aromas bring back memories at times? I can't help but wonder that when Peter went to the shore, that he smelled the aroma of that charcoal fire to remember him of the time that he had denied Jesus. And Jesus addresses Peter now in John 21, his failure around that fire, saying, I know that you failed, but Peter, I really want to use you. And he tells those commands to Peter as a result. Isn't it nice that Jesus can use failures? If he only waited for perfect people to do his mission, Jesus would end up, of course, doing it all himself. 
of spreading that word. The other thing that really ends up striking me about this story is that, you know, sometimes you have to really look at who's writing those words. We know in this account it's fishermen who are writing these words because what did they do? They counted the fish. And it says there, well, you know that number is 153 in total. And not only that, the text says that all 153 were large fish. And when the disciples, they come to the shore, Jesus is already cooking fillets of fish, right? Where did those fillets come from? Well, you remember the Last Supper, and maybe you could call this the Last Breakfast, too. And it's almost as important. The dramatic example that's here is of how Jesus provides for us when we stay on mission for him. And he will not only provide for us, but he'll provide generously and abundantly. But how much more he gives us. He provides for us and those disciples not just 153 large fish, but he's already cooking others on the fire. And the next time that you think about going off mission, the next time you think about compromising your integrity, the next time you think of perhaps cheating the kingdom for a little extra cash, please remember that you end up with an empty net. Jesus will provide for you. That's the point that he's making. And one last consideration of this text is about that first question that Jesus asked, which was unlike the second and the third questions. Remember that first question? He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And what does that mean? Well, my first thought was that he's talking about the other disciples. But is Jesus really going to launch a love-off contest between all of them? I don't think so. I think he had enough of their competitive spirits of saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus? There's only one thing left here in that account, and that's that pile of 153 slimy large fish. I believe Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than those fish? I think Jesus would ask the same question of us. I don't know what tempts you to go off mission, and I don't know what tempts you to not go on mission. I just know that sometimes we get caught up in ourselves. And as a result, the needs of those who are vulnerable and oppressed and even hopeless, they don't even cross our minds at that moment. All I know is the problem is the fish. It's the fish that keeps us off mission. What are the fish in your life? Is it your dreams? Maybe your desire for comfort? Something that you've chosen over the calling of Jesus as he's called you to do something in your life? What if we were all to hear Jesus say, do you love me more than those fish? I like to believe that God would walk into our lives as he always does and push all that other stuff aside, and really go right to our hearts? Does the faith in your heart for Christ beat with passion, that passion of Jesus for others? Or is there just a little sign that's swinging on the door of your heart that says, gone fishing? Let's pray about that. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us 
for sending your Son to redeem us and to guide us and direct us each and every day. Lord, I pray that as we walk with Christ, that we listen to his voice, listen to what he has in store for us in direction of life and for all the things that you've blessed us with. Lord, use those gifts that we have, our time, those talents and treasures, and may we do it for your glory. Because as we've just celebrated a few weeks ago, that glorious resurrection, and once again, we do so every beginning of each week because you are alive and you live in us. Bless us, Lord, for the sake of Christ. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.